you are worthy of all of our worship and all of our service, the living of our lives for your sake, to your glory. And we are unworthy to stand in your presence. The dark that we see out in the world, we see reflected and as a reflection of our own dark hearts. So gracious God, light of the world, reach down and take us by the hand and lead us forward to the fulfillment of your loving ends in our midst. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Well, Covenant family, I love you and miss you. It is such a gift and a joy to be present with you all this morning. Our online friends, thank you for inviting us into your home. We are blessed and privileged to be able to share this part of the day with you. And kiddos, I love you and I miss you. Do you know what joy it brings me when I think of you? I really miss seeing your faces. So kids, one of the things you may remember I said last Sunday as I was getting started with sharing is that when God first made the world, he made it perfect. And he made us perfect. But then we decided we wanted things to go differently than God wanted them to go. We decided we should be in charge instead of God should be in charge. And that things should go our way instead of his way. And that we should be at the center of things and not him. And when we did that, we broke the world, and our hearts broke right along with the world. So we live now in a world that is not the way that God wants it to be. And one of the clear ways that that's true is that we see people, and we see this in ourselves too, being unkind and unfair to other people just because they look different than we do. I think it's helpful for us to remember where all of this is going. Do you know what God's heart is for people who look different, whose appearance is different, whose skin color is different? There's an awesome passage in the last book of the Bible, at the very end of the Bible, in chapter 7, verse 9, and this is what it says. It says, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude a huge crowd that was so big that no one could ever count it. And it included people from every nation, every tribe, every people group, and every language group standing before the throne of God and worshiping him. So kids, if you want to do something while I'm preaching this morning, how about if you draw a picture of that? Revelation 7, 9, that picture of people from all around the world coming together to worship God. And if there are some words in that verse that you don't understand, just ask your mom or your dad to explain it to you and then draw a picture of it. And parents, I would love it if you would uh, send me those pictures. That would be a joy for me to see that. So it needs to be said this morning and it needs to be said to each new generation as it comes. That if that is where everything is going, if that is what God's heart is and if that is what God's design is, then two things are clearly true and need to be said and need to be said repeatedly. First of all, treating people differently because of their appearance or their skin color, because of that being different than our own, treating people differently is contrary to God's design, contrary to God's heart, so that makes it sin. 
And secondly, we who are followers of Christ, while we wait for God to come and to put things right in the way that he ultimately will, we are called to live an on earth as it is in heaven sort of life. To seek to shape our society so that more today than yesterday and more tomorrow than today, it reflects what God's design is and what his heart is. So this morning we're coming back for one more Sunday to look specifically at the issue of race. And after this morning we'll be uh, returning to the sermon series we're in the middle of that we stepped out of for these two Sundays of conversation. But I do want you to know this isn't the end of our discussion about this. We're going to be coming back to this uh, and, and we'll have opportunity to spend more time sitting with some of these themes. I have really spent a lot of time over the last two weeks praying about what God would want to say to us as the covenant family. And I'd like to bring you where God has brought me. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are so many different things that we could talk about related to racial injustice and inequality. There's the, um, really the horrendous history of the treatment of blacks in our country with slavery and then the, the Jim Crow era, uh, some of the pushback on the civil rights um, um, movement, the new Jim Crow laws, some of the, the current uh, crises that have happened and some of the loss of life that is handed, uh, has been handed to the black community unjustly. We could also be wrestling through to a more nuanced place of trying to understand what racism really means. And not just overt racism, but also racial bias, which shapes every single one of our hearts, and systemic inequities in our society, which every single black person faces at some level. We could also be addressing needed cultural change. Not only reforming law enforcement, but there is needed reform in the area of education, employment opportunities, and healthcare, and housing, Virtually every aspect of our society is one that we could take a fresh look at in the light of these very real concerns. But here's what God has put on my heart to invite us together to. And that is for us to enter into the pain and the anguish of our fellow human beings and to do so with humble hearts of compassion. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 6 and 7. Is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? What does it mean for us not to turn away from our own flesh and blood? You may remember that we started the year by saying that we believe God was calling us to become a church that was known more for its love than for anything else. So as we think about all that is going on around us, all of the uprisings uh, from within the African-American community, all of this coming together with a call for racial justice and and racial equity, what would that mean for us? 
What would it mean for us in our response to what is happening around us right now in our community and our nation to respond in a way that was defined more by love than by anything else? I want to ask you to take just a moment right now and ask that question of God. God, what would that look like? Some of you might wonder how far it is appropriate for the church to wade into something like this. Isn't this more of a political issue than a spiritual issue? Something maybe more for government officials to sort out than for the church and something for the church to stay out of? But Jesus made it really, really clear that our response of love to God is to have both a vertical dimension and a horizontal dimension. There are several places this is talked about in the Gospels. One example, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 29. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who exactly is my neighbor? Jesus goes on then to tell the very familiar story of the Good Samaritan. But I want to go back a moment to these two commands that Jesus called us to obey. The command to love God and the command to love neighbor. When Jesus says the second great commandment is to love our neighbor, he's not just pulling that out of the air, out of his heart in that moment. He is actually quoting directly from a book in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 19. And then remember here, he is speaking to experts in the law. The experts in the law back then were people who weren't just familiar with the text. They had memorized the entirety of the Old Testament law. So when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, they would immediately have thought of Leviticus chapter 19 and begun to have thought about what came before this verse and what came after this verse. Well, what you'll discover if you do that, and I would encourage you to do it, love, you'll discover that love your neighbor as yourself comes in the middle of an entire chapter that teaches us how to deal with others, all others in fair and honest and just ways. It addresses fellow Israelites and neighbors and our brothers and sisters and and the workers in our midst and the foreigners who live around us and the poor. Everyone, all of those, those, those different groups of people all woven together into one. And these are the themes that come through in this chapter. It admonishes admonishes generosity, verses 9 and 10. Honesty, verse 11. Integrity, verses 13 and 14. Justice and fairness, verse 15. Honor and respect, verses 16 and 17, and compassion, verses 33 and 34. God says, love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. God says, the foreigner residing among you, love them as yourself. I am the Lord your God. But look at where all of this starts. The first line in Leviticus chapter 19. Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Be holy means be distinctive in the same ways that I am distinctive. 
have your heart move in the same way that my heart moves. This is so profound what is happening in this chapter. The Lord is saying, love your neighbor as I have loved you. With generosity and honesty and integrity and justice and honor and respect and compassion. Let me join together for us a few verses that I think fit together in a really powerful and compelling way. The first of these we find in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. And I may have the wrong reference there that may say Exodus 2.22. This is describing the situation when the people of God were enslaved in Egypt. And I am not saying that the situation is identical to what the black community in our nation is experiencing. But the heart of God is identical. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And listen to what happens. During that long period, it says, the king of Egypt died, the Israelites groaned in their slavery, and they cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groaning, And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and he was concerned for them. And now listen to what God says to Moses when he raises him up to be a difference maker in that situation. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out, because of their suffering, because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them. The King James says, I have seen their affliction, I have heard their cry, I have known their sorrows. So is this just a kind of a a passing moment of awareness as, as God, the king of the universe, is busy and distracted for 429 years dealing with other things, and then eventually the clamor reaches his ears and he turns and notices for the first time what's going on with the Israelites. This isn't just what God did. This is who God is. Let me join these passages that come at the start of Exodus with another familiar passage that comes later on in the book of Exodus. It's one that we've spent time with before. You'll remember this. This is the place where God more directly and clearly reveals his nature and his character than anywhere else in the Old Testament. It's when he passes before Moses and allows his glory and goodness to be revealed to Moses. So let me just ask you a question. Think of the dozens and dozens of different words that are used to describe God's attributes in the Old Testament. God is holy, he's majestic, he's mighty, powerful, wise, all-knowing. He is the one who, who moves human history in fulfillment of his purposes. What would you expect would be the very first word that would come out of God's mouth when he passes before Moses to declare his glory? This is what he actually says. I am the Lord, the Lord. I'm the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love. His seeing their affliction, his hearing their cry, his knowing their sorrows, that came out of the heart of who God is in his being. He is a God of compassion. He's not the smack down God, he's the bend down, step down, Come down, God. 
I have seen their affliction. I have heard their cry. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to rescue them. The ultimate fulfillment of this, of course, is in the incarnation when God himself comes in flesh. So then that takes us to the next step. This is what's true about the heart of God the Father. Among the words used most often in the Gospels to describe the heart of Jesus, compassion. Here are three of many examples. When Jesus feeds the 5,000, Mark chapter 6, verse 34, it says he had compassion on them for they were like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus fed the 4,000 people, Matthew chapter 15, 32, I have compassion for these people, he says to his disciples. And when he's responding to a woman whose son has just died, Luke chapter 7, verse 13, it says he had compassion on her. God puts on human flesh and he walks among us saying, I see your affliction. I hear your cry. I know your sufferings and your sorrows. I mean, you think about it, Jesus could have spent his whole time doing theology in the temple with the experts of the law, but he doesn't. He wades out into the midst of broken and hurting humanity and responds to the cries of their heart with compassion. Now comes another unexpected and challenging twist in this unfolding chain of compassion. God incarnates himself in Jesus. Jesus fleshes out God. And then God incarnate incarnates himself in the church. He calls the church to be his body. The church fleshes out, or is meant to, Jesus. Listen to Colossians chapter 3. This is describing what happens when we respond in faith to Jesus and become his followers. Notice the unexpected way that the theme of racial equality is connected to the way that we are being remade in the image of God. Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 to 11. You have taken off your old self with its practices and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And now listen as Paul spells out the practical implication of our being made, made new in the image of God. Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, that is distinctive in the same way that God is distinctive, and dearly loved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. To be clothed in Jesus, to be remade in God's image, will work itself out in our lives in responding to the people around us with the same sort of compassion with which God responds to us. So if God can say to us, I have seen your affliction, I've heard your cry, I know your sorrows, then we are called, as people who represent God in this world, to be able to say to those around us, I've seen your affliction. I've heard your cry. I know 
your sorrows. I mean, you know this. This is an amazingly gifted church family. We have so many highly capable, highly educated people. But when something like this national groundswell happens, or not but, so when something like this national groundswell happens and rises up, we are so tempted to jump in as the bright and capable people that we are and to begin to evaluate and opinionate and formulate to say, here's what the issue is, here's what the problem is, this is what you're doing wrong, this is what I'm doing right, here's how we move forward. I believe that the scripture compellingly calls us, before we start jumping in and trying to evaluate how to affect change in our respective areas, whether that be in housing or education or, or government or law enforcement or health care or, or employment or raising up the next generation, whatever is our vocation, there is a and there is a crucial work to be done together in partnership with people of color to seek to affect change in all of those areas. But before we jump to evaluation and formulation, I believe God is calling us as a church to a posture of humble compassion. To step back and to step down, to listen and to learn. That's why I asked James Foster to come and speak with us last Sunday, so that we could listen and learn. And I specifically asked him to do two things to help us to understand the pain and the anguish that lies behind the anger and intensity that's rising up all across the country, and to help us understand what steps we can take to grow in understanding that cry of the heart. And, and I just need to be honest with you and tell you this. He wanted so much to be able to come to us and to express his deep thanks, and he has exp expressed it profusely to me, for the incredible things that Covenant has done to come alongside and, and in a posture of help over the years and specifically helping some of the members of, of uh, James Church who are out of work during this COVID virus. But I specifically asked him not to do that. And here's why. I did not want him to come and stand before us as a beneficiary addressing his patron church. I wanted him to come and stand here as an equal and as someone whose voice we need to hear and to learn from. I hope you've heard his message. If you haven't, I hope you'll go track it down. If you have, I hope you'll listen to it again. What wisdom it contains and what grace and honesty at the same time. Someone once said, everything that ever comes out of someone's mouth is either an expression of love or a cry for help. Let me just say that again. Let that sink in. Everything that anybody ever says or does, anything that ever comes out of someone's mouth, is either an expression of love or a cry for help. What if that were the lens through which we looked at the unrest that we see being given expression to in our nation? What if our first response when we saw the anger and heard the yelling was to try to understand the crying beneath the yelling, to hear the hurt beneath the anger, to listen with compassion to the accumulation of years of sadness and despair and exasperation and pain and helplessness, 
to open our hearts enough that we would be moved to cry with those who are crying out. And at least to begin to be able to say, I have seen your affliction. I have heard your cry. I do know the smallest bit. I do know your sorrows. As a way of communicating this idea, I brought along Corey's guitar. If you play a guitar, which I don't, you will know that the way that a guitar makes its music is through vibration. If I pluck a string, then it starts vibrating back and forth really fast, and those vibrations are what make the sounds, that the, those are the elements that form together to make the music. I want to show you a really interesting video of how this happens. This was taken from inside of a guitar looking out as someone was playing it. I don't know how someone got inside of a guitar to take the, the video, but they did. So let's watch this video for a moment. Check out what happens. Isn't that incredibly cool? Don't you love that? Well, because of the way that digital cameras work, this, it, it actually makes the strings seem way more wiggly than they actually are. But this really gives you an idea of how the strings vibrate when you pluck them. So let's bring that to an end now, and I want to show you something on this guitar. Thanks. So sometimes strings begin to vibrate even when you don't touch them. Those who play guitar know that when you pluck one string, all of the other strings around that string begin to vibrate as well. And that is called sympathetic vibration. Sometimes the pitch of two strings is so closely related that the second string actually begins to resonate. It starts making, a, vibrating in a similar way and making a similar sound. And that's what happens, for instance, when I pluck the E string and this string up here, the B string, begins to vibrate. Let me see if you can hear this. I don't know if you'll be able to. I can't get it to work. Well, you could feel on my fingernail, you can't feel it, but I can feel it, how the B string is vibrating. It's resonating with the other string. I believe that that idea of sympathetic vibration and, and resonating is a perfect picture of what God is calling us to as his people. Sometimes the, the way that God calls us in is to draw our hearts so close to somebody else that that the cry of someone else's heart strikes a chord in our heart. It begins to move our hearts and we begin to resonate with that cry and we respond sympathetically. What will it look like for us to be a church that is known more for its love than for anything else? I believe that means for each of us, before we do anything to go out and seek to affect positive change in our respective areas of vocation, I believe that, that means each of us needs to draw close enough and with a heart 
open enough to the breaking hearts of the people around us that our hearts will ache with and sing with their pain. And then with tears in our eyes for the pain that resonates in our own hearts, then we can be, begin to bring about change, needed change, together. If we skip that step, if we jump to, the, to trying to bring about uh, effective laws or raise our children effectively or create an equitable work environment, but we haven't had our breath taken away by the pain in the hearts of those who are crying out in the face of systematic and systemic disadvantage and, and mistreatment for generations, how effective will those changes really be? Without judgment and with a heart that is ready to be moved and broken, listen to black voices such as those that are available through the Q Forum. Read books by black authors such as the incredibly challenging and uncomfortable and profound and moving book by ta Coates, Between the World and Me. Not everything that's said in those or spoken is the whole story, and not everything that's suggested will ultimately be the best, but I believe that this is the only thing that will give us solid footing in moving forward in partnership with people of color to make a difference in the future. Becoming a church known more for its love than for anything else will mean that we as recreated image bearers of God will reflect the compassionate heart of God in this world and we will be able to say, at least at some level, I have seen your affliction, I have heard your cry, and I know your sorrows. I know that there are a number of you who have taken really significant and in some ways costly steps to grow in your own awareness and understanding of some of the things that are, uh, are stirring in the hearts of African-American fellow human beings in our nation. And I want to give you, uh, bring before this congregation just two examples of some in our midst who have done that. First of all, Bob and Diane Shockey, thanks so much for joining us this morning. I know that you have shared with me some of the ways that God, that some of the steps that you have taken to, to seek to grow in understanding about uh, what is uh, the cry of uh, the heart among black people. And I wonder if you could just share with us some of the steps that you have been undertaking. Happy to do so. I'm Bob Shockey. And I'm Diane Shockey, and we are happy to share a little bit about our journey towards racial understanding, reconciliation, social justice. While I've had a long-term mental apprehension that racial injustice exists in America, I lacked any visceral, tangible, emotional connection to it. However, I've always been grieved that no white evangelical Christian leaders marched with Dr. King during the racial times in the 60s. And I've always ardently hoped that had I been an adult back then, I would have actually marched. I can't know that, but I do know that in January of 2016 on Martin Luther King Day, I read Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail and it deeply moved me. It's an interesting, amazing, and edifying piece that I can highly commend. After this, Bob and I began reading books together about racial injustice in the United States. We read Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? We read The Warmth of Other Suns. Bob went on to read um, James Baldwin, 
Divided by Faith, and some other books. Um, these books were eye-opening to us, and they were really uncomfortable. Um, as we read, this reality began to descend on us. The way Bob describes it is as a heavy, wet blanket of understanding that we were, in fact, the beneficiaries of clear white privilege, and that African Americans in this country were victims of structural and systemic injustice. And like many folks, I feel like if I read about something, think about something, talk about something, I've actually done something, but I hadn't. So for me, it was time to actually get out and do something based on the new awareness. So in January of 2017, I showed up at the African American Living Truth of Christ Church, pastored by James Foster. And uh, I began to attend, and Diane joined me in April, and we went every Sunday along with Covenant for about two years. During that season, we formed a number of genuine, enduring friendships. We did come to more viscerally and emotionally know what more of our black friends experience here in Lafayette and in America. To be wary of the police, to endure racial slurs, sometimes publicly, to have the talk when it's time to get your license and drive, Here's what you do. If you're pulled over, you put the window down, hands on the steering wheel, look forward, yes sir, no sir, and you don't move a muscle unless you're told to do so. Basically, it was to stand with our friends in a weak and disenfranchised place. We were welcomed warmly at Living Truth of Christ and made a lot of friends. When Bob had his surgery in the hospital, a number of people came from Living Truth and, and just sat with him. John and Charles and CJ and James and Tamitra, they are all our friends. Last Friday, CJ and Charles came over and we sat outside around our fire pit. And we talked about race and we talked about the events that have happened, but we also talked about comedians, we talked about food, we talked about travel. And the reason is we're friends. And when I look at the injustices in our country, through the light, the lens of my friends being affected by it, it, it is really difficult for me. And it, it's caused Bob and I to want to deploy our resources and our time and make intentional efforts to, on behalf of our friends and other disenfranchised people in our community, in our country, and in globally. So while we have lots more to learn, and many more adventures ahead on this reconciliation road, the journey has started. We're intentionally engaged, and we've already been blessed in many, many ways more than we could have ever possibly imagined. Bob and Diane, thanks for that, for sharing that, and thanks for your example, and uh, I love the way that that stretches and challenges me, and I think the rest of us as well. Travis Overstreet, our uh, worship arts pastor here at Covenant, has been on a similar journey uh, and I've asked if he would share some of the, the places that God has been taking him recently. Uh, thanks, David. Um, man, since you've asked, I have been praying about what to share. And there's so much that I would love to share. But one thing that God has laid on my heart to make sure to say at the beginning, and that is, I am a racist. Maybe that's not the best term. But it's true. I am racially prejudiced. It's not something I ask for. It's not something I want. It's not something I practice or study or, or, or I'm even aware of sometimes. But I've learned that I am the product 
of my environment and my culture. David, I was raised in a tiny little town in the middle of Alabama in the 60s and the 70s. I was very fortunate that I was raised in that little town in a home that taught me that hate was wrong, that people were created equal under God, and that we should love each everyone. And I was, I was taught that in my Sunday school and church. And these, these messages, despite what I was seeing on our little black and white TV, these messages were put as placed into my heart. But honestly, it was theoretical. It was all theoretical because I grew up in a town, if you can believe this, that didn't have a single African-American family living in it. I went for four years to a five, big 5A high school that didn't have a single person of color in that high school, student or teacher. So who knew whether the things that I was learning were really foundational until I got to college. And when I went to college, it was a very racially diverse school, small college, and God in his infinite wisdom and his infinite sense of humor saw fit to give me an African-American roommate who, who also happened to be gay. And so it was an amazing crash course in figuring out how to navigate completely different cultures than I was used to. And we became friends and we're still friends today. But I learned real quickly that there were cracks in the foundations that I had laid in my childhood. There were things there that I was not aware of that were racially prejudiced and racially biased. And I remember being taught by my friend about what it meant to be a minority in this country. And I began a journey even then in college of hoping to find and just to root out those broken pieces and to fix them. Well, just a few years ago, David, here in Lafayette, I joined a worship leader forum online. I was looking for ways in which I could connect with other worship leaders, and I saw this, somebody recommended it, and I joined it. And it was awesome because I got to uh, network with literally thousands of worship pastors and worship leaders around the country about what we do and made some great friends, and uh, many of them uh, were people of color. And I remember as we shared, it was like, wow, you know, it's so cool to have people that are, that are called to the same thing that I'm called. You know, we talk the same language. We love God. We love worship. We love his people. We love music. We talk about bands. We talk about children's choirs. We talk about how did your live stream go this past week. And it's so easy for me to think, wow, you know, uh, we're just alike. Our lives are very similar. But then something happens. Something like that has been happening too often in the past six months. And a person of color loses their life needlessly. And I realize that we are not at all the same. When I see my friends online pour out the anguish, the hurt and the despair that this brings into their lives, I realize we are not the same. And what I realized is just under that surface of similarities and the things that we share together, there is an ocean of hurt. There's an ocean of pain and suffering and, and fear and disappointment and frustration and even anger. And that ocean is something that's been built drop by drop every day of their lives. When they wake up and they go out 
and somebody tells them or shows them that they are less than, that they are second class. And that just builds up in this ocean of pain and rejection. And my heart was broken. My heart was broken. And about a year ago, I asked one of my friends, what can I do? What, yeah. well, how do I understand better what you're going through and what can I do? And they suggested an online community called Be The Bridge. And I can recommend it to anyone. Be The Bridge is on Facebook. You can look up bethebridge.com. It's an organization founded by an African-American Christian woman to be a space where white people and black people can come together and learn about each other and talk. And I joined it. It was hard to join. There was a lot of homework, and you have to uh, prepare before you can even begin to comment or take part. But it has changed my perspective, and it has, better than anything I've ever done, pointed out the cracks in my foundation and helped me to begin to heal and to repair those. You know, in the last couple of weeks, we've been probably, if you're like me, glued to the TV and seeing these images of marching and images of protest and memorial services and things like that. And it's so easy to see that through the narrative of whatever news agency we are watching at the time and to see um, anarchy and anger. Or maybe we see it even through our own lens, as David mentioned earlier, and we see the political movement, hashtag BLM, and we think of the things that sometimes, many things that they stand for that we could not support as Christians. You might see demonstrations and violence and destruction. And if you look in that lens, it's easy to find those things because they're there. They are certainly there. But I'm using a different lens these days. And when I look at the hundreds of thousands all over the world, that are standing together, I see a reflection of the heart of Christ. The heart that saw a woman about to be stoned and stepped in. I see a reflection of Christ who loved us so much that he placed his life uh, on the line for us. I see people who, did, like me, middle-class white America, who decided not to go home to their safe neighborhood and house, and to turn a blind eye, but to actually step out and risk and stand behind or beside a person of color just to say, I see you. You matter to me, and you matter to God, and your life is valuable, and your life is not expendable. That's what I see, and my heart rejoices in the hope that there might be change in the hearts of others as well. Thank you, Travis. We're going to conclude our service now by sharing with you uh, two things that uh, fit together with the, the vertical and the horizontal invitation to love as the people of God. The first of those things is uh, a worship song in which we are invited to, uh, in which God invites us to bring our heart into line with his heart of compassion. And then woven through that, we'll have video images that show 
some of the uh, uprisings to express uh, a call for justice and others that are responses of solidarity from people around the world. And we're sharing those this morning just as a way for our own hearts to be open to the people around us and let our hearts resonate with their pain and anguish. God calls us to be a church known more than anything else by its love.